If you love this podcast, help us spread these stories to more women by following us on Instagram at Simply Amazing Podcast and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. The link is in the show notes and the Instagram bio. So it would mean the world to us to help share this message. Thanks. The whole reason I wanted to do this was to share my story. I don't care about hitting a buzzer. I don't care about Mount Midoriyama. I don't care about being the next American Ninja Warrior. I cared about, wow, this is an amazing platform to share a story about loss and empower other people that have been through it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to She's Simply Amazing, a podcast all about sharing the stories of women that can inspire us to live a huge, beautiful, and amazing life. I'm your host, Carrie Brinton. Okay, welcome everybody. I'm really, really excited about today's podcast. I want to introduce you to today's guest. I met her through Jamie York, who is our president at Elays. She's an amazing person, <laughs> right? So she invited our guest today, who is Jenity Page. She invited Jenity to be a guest speaker for Elays a couple of years ago, right? Uh-huh. And Full disclosure, I missed it. I, th- I think maybe I was out of town. I don't know what happened. But Jenity came and spoke. And the theme of your speech at that moment was grit. Mm-hmm. That was our theme for the year. And after your presentation, the feedback that I heard about this woman was, it was emotional. It was so much gratitude. The impact that you had when you came and spoke with us was, it was measurable. You really made a difference in a lot of people's lives. And so Since then, I have been really, really excited to have the opportunity to meet you myself and get to know you. Jenity Page is an incredible artist. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. And she uses her art to teach lessons, and she teaches lessons of faith, perseverance in trials, and empowerment. And I know there's a lot more, but those are kind of three main themes that she touches on through her art. She has gone through some significant trials in her life, and she's very open to sharing that story and how that story has impacted not only her art, but kind of what she's turned her life into. And I think that's where her power is. It comes through the way that she has used the trials in her life to create a lot of beauty, physical beauty in terms of her art. She's created beautiful messages, and she speaks to groups all over, and just a really beautiful life. She's done some really interesting things in her life that we're going to get to, so I'm very excited to have you hear Jenity's message today. I think it's one of pure empowerment. So welcome, Jenity. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you. So let's, uh, first of all, why don't you just tell us about yourself? Give us a summary of who you are, and then we'll kind of get into your story a little bit. A uh, summary, I am a mother. I've had four kids. I'm a full-time oil painter and athlete. I've been married for 15 years. I have a really supportive husband. I've lived all over the Western United States. People always ask me where I'm from, and I just say the Western United States. <laughs> all over. Currently live in Pleasant Grove, and this is the longest I have lived anywhere in my life. How long have you been here? Five and a half years. Oh, and that's the longest. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like a brief synopsis, synopsis of what I do. Okay, so you've got a lot of roles that you play, and you've got a lot of a lot of talents. So I'm excited to get into them. Let's talk about one of the key things in your life, which is being an artist. Okay, I want to understand how did you get started into that? You started a little bit. You you say late in life, but I think that in and of itself is a great inspiration. So just tell us about how you got started in art and what it meant to you at that age. Okay, yeah. So growing up, I was actually first a musician. Piano was like my biggest passion. And art didn't come onto the scene until I was a senior in high school. And what happened is my family moved. So (laughs) up till my senior year, I was the girl that wanted to be a valedictorian. I wanted Mm -hmm. to get a full ride to college. I was very driven. Then we moved my senior year to this tiny town um, in Colorado, and I met with a high school counselor to plan out my senior year. And I was like, I want to be valedictorian. I want to fly to college. I need all your AP and honors classes. And and she just looked at me and she was like, um, sweetheart, we don't really do like any of that here. It was a small town, small <laughs> it was town. Tiny. Yeah, like um, the town is was is called Johnstown, Johnstown in, in Colorado, and it's now grown quite a quite a bit. Like in the past 20 years, it's grown like a ton. But at the time, it only had one stoplight and mostly dirt roads. And I mean, it was 
very much a small So what town. what took you there? I'm curious what would move you there in your senior Oh, year? my dad's job. He worked for a different, like a, a company closer to Boulder. And oh, okay. that's just where my parents decided to live. So anyway, so all of my life plans kind of come to like a screeching halt in this moment where I realized like what I had hoped for was not going to happen. And so then I was like, well, art sounds fun. Like, I mean, like, I like coloring, coloring books and stuff. <laughs> You're like, it's basically the same thing, <laughs> right? Uh, they had a trimester schedule, and I, I took two art classes each trimester because my schedule was really open. <laughs> I had taken most of everything I needed to graduate, and so I took six art classes my senior year. And what happened is my very first class, my teacher sat me down, and she, she gave me a sheet with 16 squares on a piece of paper. And she said, I need you to convey a different emotion in each square. But you can't use any known objects. So, like, no hearts for love. And I was like, this is weird. <laughs> I was hoping to, like, draw a fruit bowl or something. Right. But what? But that practice of thinking about how can you use like color and texture and imagery to portray an emotion just like lit a fire inside my soul. It was like, I have to do this. And we had to keep an art journal. And to preface this, I had kept a journal since I was 11, like a written journal. And so I was like huge journal fan. So Mm -hmm. when she was like, I want you to do an art journal, I was like, great, you're going to just take images and what you would say with words I want you to do with art. And I was like, okay. And so I got really into that. But the problem was I couldn't draw. And so I cut out of National Geographic magazines a lot with like some (laughs) glitter glue and some found objects and collage work. That sounds like the beginning of my art career too. Mine didn't progress past that though. (laughs) And I loved it. And it was so funny because I remember when I decided that this was like going to be my passion in life, I, I came home from school and I said, mom, I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> you said that in high school? Yeah. Oh, wow. But yeah. And up to this point, I was like, AP honors girl, like, yeah. forward to college. And now all of a sudden, I'm like gluing stuff into a book with like glitter glue. And yeah, my those mom are kind of different, like, right? Different tracks. Are you sure? <laughs> and, but yeah, like that was the start of my art journey. I did get my, my full ride to college. I went to BYU, Idaho. Mm-hmm. And first day of freshman orientation for the art program, they sit us in a big auditorium with a PowerPoint of previous students' work like graduate students work. And I'm looking at this art and I just was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. I'm not even in the ballpark of talent of these people. Like, what am I doing here? And uh, I mean, having come from a small town where nobody's right. really great at art, and then all of a sudden you're in a university and you just realize how small you you are. And so I, I just got really overwhelmed and I started to cry and I left the meeting and walked back to my apartment thinking, well, I'm going to have to change my major because heaven knows, like, we can't do that. Right, right. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> That's not going to work. And then I, as I was walking home, I'm crossing the street. Like, I could tell you the exact place in Rexburg, Idaho that I was. I felt something tell me that I could do it. Really? It was just like this, like, Genity, you can be an artist. And from that moment, did you have doubts again? Or oh, did yeah. That- yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, even when I felt that, I said, how? Yeah. <laughs> like, have you seen You're my like, did work? Did you see that stuff Have you seen there? how bad I am? <laughs> like, how many do this? And I really felt God tell me, I will help you. And I guess I could just say that I just believed that. I just said, okay. Your art now, 20-plus years later, I'm assuming— It's had a lot of impact for a lot of people, and it sends powerful messages. It's been a tool for healing for you. All of that has come long after BYU-Idaho. In that moment, did you feel that sense that it's going to have such a big purpose beyond just creating art? But did you sense that then, or you just had a little thing that said, I can do this? No, it was just kind of like— I felt like God was aware of me as an individual and that he saw this was something I wanted to pursue and he cared enough to believe in me, in him. (laughs) Believe in me working with him to create something. Like I I didn't, I thought I was going to be a children's book illustrator. Like I was an illustration student and because I loved coloring books and I loved children's books, that was the path that I originally started on. And, but I was just so touched that like, 
God felt that I could do it with his help. And that was so empowering. And so I also realized how far I had to go. Mm-hmm. Um, most most art students decide when they're five or really young that they're going to be an artist. I mean, I remember being in fifth grade and there was this kid in our class. His name was Tyler Hone. He could draw a tiger that blew everybody's mind. <laughs> You know, Tyler Hone, if yes, you're out there, do if you're still out there, Jeff Tigers, <laughs> like that wasn't me. I right. wasn't that kid with it all wasn't this your talent. natural gift. Right. And like, granted, people have natural gifts like that. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying I wasn't one of those people. So I, I started to go to school at four in the morning because that's when the building opened for the janitors to come and clean. And I just was like, I have to make up for all this time. And mm-hmm. so I would just go and I would give, because I, I, I knew, I felt like God tell me he would help me, but I also felt like I had to bring everything to the table. So I'd go at four, I would draw from cast figures we had or skeletons. I would spend hours and hours on my projects because I figured like I didn't have a lot of talent, but I could make up for lack of talent in effort and time. And you know what, as I was <laughs> talking to Jamie earlier I asked her, I said, what do I need to know about Genitive? Like, what's what's some key things I need to know? And that's actually what she said about you, that your message that you share, or I, mean, I think she said your talent is not that you have all of this natural ability. It's, you ha- it's that you have a willingness to practice, that you have yeah. a willingness to just put in the work and, and put in the time and develop that skill. And that started that early with your art. Yeah, like I actually had a professor in college who told me, flat out genity art is not your greatest talent <laughs> but perseverance is and that oh. will make you a great artist and so yeah i i'm a firm believer in this concept that whatever you consistently practice you will become better at that you don't like a lot of people think especially with art i don't know what it is about art but people think you have to be born with a magical something inside you that makes you an artist and then you can be an artist and so many people say oh i wish i could do art i can't i can i can't even draw like a stick figure and to people like that i always say guess what i was drawing as a senior in high school <laughs> stick figures stick figures 16 yeah. boxes <laughs> and what an empowering idea that like whatever it is that you want you can have it but it's like so much easier to play the role of like i don't have that so i can't like I wasn't blessed with that ability, so I can't do it. Well, you know, it's so much easier because you had, like you just said, you got up at 4 a.m. to practice that. So it's not easy. You're right. It's not easy to acknowledge the fact that you can have it if you want it, but you have to put in the work. You have to want it a lot. And you're going to have to sacrifice (laughs) for it, right? Yeah, you got to want it a lot, and you're going to sacrifice for Uh it. But like anything that you consistently do, you will get better at. I mean, I can say Mm -hmm. that so confidently. I'm not saying that you're going to become Michelangelo or become the best in the field, but you will get better than you were before. Mm -hmm. Always, 100% guaranteed every time. That's, That's like true. so great. <laughs> it's so true. You just have to be willing to put in the work. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I started out as like the total underdog and I actually graduated at the top of my class and had seen like tremendous growth. One of the r- things too that really helped me is because I had no talent, I accepted criticism, no problem. Mm. Like one of the ways that you grow as an artist is through critiques. So, you know, you do a project in class, you put it on the wall, and it's very vulnerable because what you created is now on the wall for the whole class and your teacher to tell you what you did wrong. Scary. Yeah. It, like Everybody is just, like, sweating during critiques. <laughs> At least I was. <laughs> but my teacher would be like, hey, you need to fix this, this, and this. And I would just say, done. I'll go do it. I'd go work on it, and then I would take it back to my teacher and say, now what do you think? And I went back and forth a lot with my professors. And because of that, my ability and my my art got better and better and better. Whereas, like, there's kids that come in with all this talent and they think, I'm a rock star. I've been drawing, drawing tigers since I was 10. I'm so my good at this. Tyler. <laughs> I'm awesome. <laughs> and then the teacher says, oh, you need to fix this and this. And all of a sudden, they need to protect themselves. And so they come up with excuses like, oh, I meant for it to be like that. Or... You know, I was I was really trying to accomplish this, and they would they would almost not fight, but con- like there was confrontation between the teacher because they didn't want to be wrong. Right. You have a very you have a growth mindset. Yeah. Have you read that that book? The, I, it's called I, Growth Mindset. I haven't. Okay, but you have a definite growth mindset, meaning that you are 
you acknowledge the fact that we don't come whole. We don't come with all of the talents that we can develop or are meant to develop that will can eventually be ours. Right. Which is, it's a beautiful thing, like you said, to be able to accept that criticism and take it in and recognize that because I'm being criticized or critiqued doesn't mean I failed. It just means I have more to learn. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I graduated. Um, I actually got married my senior year of college, and then we moved to Southern California. And my husband uh, was pursuing a job in landscape design, and I just started painting. <laughs> and again, like I said, I was originally thinking like illustration, and so I went to a really premier art school in California to talk to the illustration professors to get an idea for the market in Los Angeles. And they basically told me, okay, if you want to do this, it's going to have to be digital. That's just kind of where the market's going. And it's just the most efficient way to make images for illustration purposes. And I was just like, oh man, I just really like putting like paint on a canvas. So I just became like a self-proclaimed fine artist. <laughs> you can do that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> and I, I would do, I joined a movement called Daily Painters where you do a painting in a day and then you post it on this website and then you sell it. And that was such a tremendous practice for me right out of college because I graduated and all of a sudden it's like, I don't have an assignment. When you're in college, like yeah. paint this, paint this, paint this. So then you graduate and you're like, you could paint anything. And it's a little bit like, what am I going to paint? But so who's going to grade it? Yeah, yeah. And, and when do I know when it's done? Right. And so it was like I had a built-in timeline every day, like do a painting and post it, and then I would sell it. So I sold a ton of really bad art on eBay. I just blessed those little patrons that bought my really bad art right when I graduated. Like I, I say all the time, I really hope someday that that art is valuable because those people believed in me when I was like really beginner. Anyways. So that's how I started. And I remember as soon as I sold my first piece, I just felt so amazing. I told my husband, he came home from work and I was jumping up and down. I was like, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I sold the painting but to somebody that's not related to me. And that's so exciting. And anyways, and then I became a mom. And all of a sudden, there was all these new challenges. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn. And this is this is life. I mean, it's not just having a baby. Like, there's always going to be obstacles. A, a worldwide pandemic could happen. Like, right. who knows? <laughs> and you always have to, like, readjust. But that habit of getting up early then really began to bless my life even more because I would paint at four in the morning like I did in college because my baby was sleeping. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I just was like, just make it work. Like, mm -hmm. And when when the sleep schedule happened, I, I didn't do dishes. I didn't do laundry. I just went to my easel. Like if my kid was sleeping, I was painting. And then I would just figure out how to do everything else when he was awake. I love that. I love that you kind of let go of those things that weren't so important, like the dishes and the laundry. Well, yeah, it's like you on. have to just, I mean, this goes back to like finding, like you have to be committed to your practice. Like you mm -hmm. have to decide what is it that you really want. And then when you know what you really want, you have to make time for it, like, every day. Mm -hmm. And even some days, it would be, like, 30 minutes. And I think sometimes people say, oh, I only have 30 minutes, like, not worth getting my getting it all out. out. Yeah. But I would just say, hey, that's 30 minutes. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll be 30 minutes better today than I was yesterday. Where does this approach come from? Because I, <laughs> I love the mindset, but that idea of I'll be 30 minutes closer to you know, you don't, you probably don't have an end point in your art, right? But no. you'll be 30 minutes better. How did you develop that? I wish everybody had, I wish I had that some days. <laughs> Where do you think you got that mindset? I think just in college, I started out so bad and mm -hmm. then I grew so much in four years and I knew it was because of time. Okay. And, and so I knew I needed all the, I needed time. Mm-hmm. And, and time is sometimes really hard to come by when you're a young mother. And any time I got, I just took it because I was desperate for time. <laughs> okay, I love it. It's a very practical way yeah, to develop I just, that mindset. Yeah, it's like, awesome. And I think I was also afraid that if I ever said, I don't have the time today, that I, that it would eventually become the, the usual. Yeah. Yeah, if I, oh, I don't have time. Oh, I don't have time. Or I don't have time. Oh my gosh, that's so true though. When you use the excuse one day, it becomes so much easier. easier. <laughs> and then you're like, I only have an hour. I only have an afternoon. And then eventually <laughs> you're just wasting an entire day. day. Oh, uh -huh. I love that message. Like 
Yeah. Every time you use an excuse, it becomes easier to use again. Yeah. And then also, I always try to like, I mean, every day is different, but if you start with a plan, like I'd say, okay, I'm going to paint from 4 to 8 a.m. And then you just like, you be consistent. And every day is going to be different. There's going to be times when your baby was up until three and you got to sleep in at least until seven, then you're only going to have an hour. I would still try to hold to whatever I could, you know, Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, now we have from seven to eight, we're just going to do what we can. And this is what's amazing is like, this is kind of like one of my big mantras is that like, you can do so much with a little bit that's like repeated over time. You know, like like my husband and I went to Italy last fall. We went through this cave, and you see these stalactites, all these features that are built one drop at a time. And I think it's so easy to say, like, this 15 minutes isn't even going to matter. This 30 minutes isn't even going to matter. But the thing is, you do 30 minutes every day, that adds up to a lot of time by the end of the year. And so that's kind of how I built my practice. And I then had uh, another boy. So I had two boys. I had, my oldest was Victory Morgan and my, my second son is Benson True. And then um, my husband decided to go to grad school. And so we moved to Arizona and we moved in with my parents because we couldn't afford to not. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they had a pool and my mom was so nervous. Like the day we moved in, she was like, Jenny, I'm so nervous about the pool. And I was like, mom, listen, you got a fence and you've got alarms on the doors and it's going to be fine. And it was fine. Like we lived there for a whole year, like no problems. And then we spent the next summer in Mexico. My husband did his internship for his graduate program there. And then we came home and it was actually September 26th. Just one morning, kind of like all the stars aligned, like just the perfect accident. (laughs) And I pulled my son out of the pool. And that morning, I think the sequences of that morning will always be like ingrained in my soul. But I just remember like waiting for the paramedics to come. And it just felt like so long, like, why aren't they here yet? And my husband's doing a CPR. And anyways, he was three at the time and was lifelighted to a hospital. And then we spent seven weeks there. And I really thought he was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After like, I mean, he wasn't on life support or anything. And the doctors would be like, oh man, he's he's gotten to three weeks. Like the chances of him. Was he awake during that time or was he in a coma? Okay. So he wasn't in a coma, but I wouldn't say he was fully present. So what happened is he damaged his basal ganglia, which mm-hmm. is like the c- control center for your brain. And it causes something called sympathetic storming. So your sympathetic nervous system is like your fight or flight response. And so his body would have these sympathetic storms where like everything, like every muscle would flex and his breathing would go crazy high. It was was like he was running a marathon He was like in fight the whole time. Uh Anyways, at first these episodes, it kind of looks like a seizure, just like everything curls up and uh, they'd last like 20 minutes and then he would just like pass out in exhaustion. And like they tried every kind of drug to stop it. And they said, oh, this is like near drowning victims is pretty common. It's like the brain resetting. And so I just waited for him to kind of like snap out of it. Mm. (laughs) And I prayed a lot and I wrote in my journal a lot. And I just waited for God to heal my son. And eventually those storms grew to be like 48 hours. Oh, wow. Where I'm just standing through the night, just watching over my son and there's like nothing you can do and um except cry and pray and try and hold his hand anyways he passed away in November and I just remember being so devastated not only that I had to go through the the loss of my son but also that like it was a little bit of a faith crisis because I thought I mean in the Bible, like Jesus raises people from the dead and the, all these beautiful things happen. And then how come like when I needed him, like that didn't happen for me. And I just, I just kept going back to prayer <laughs> because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And God was really patient with me and he held my hand so beautifully through the whole healing process and basically taught me that sometimes people have to die. And he even lost his son too. And so I found myself kind of like commiserating with God. And then my painting took on this whole new level because originally I thought, I'm going to be a children's book illustrator. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, 
art becomes a means of like saving me because I'd go into the studio at 4 a.m. and turn on some music and I would just cry, like just weep and paint and weep. And it was like so healing. It was like the canvas allowed me a place to put all of that grief. And I know, and we were still living with my mom and she would come in and say, this, Jen, I can't look at your art. I mean, it's just like, when can we paint something nice? <laughs> Was it you? Let me, let me, act, okay. coming back up just sure. a little bit. You, you, in a story you told one time, you talk about your paintings being a journal or they all come from a story. Uh-huh. Looking at your website and looking at your pieces, it's extremely clear. You also talk about how your paintings are very, I don't think this is the right word, but like basic. Like you say, you you just want simple. Maybe that's the uh-huh. word. Like you want your art to be very simple and to convey a message as simply as possible. Looking at your website, it, the story is so clear in every one of them. But you also leave a, a beautiful message on your website next to each painting and talk about what's going on in there. And I want to reference a couple of them. But what does that process for you look like to go from like a journal entry? You say you write a lot and then you simplify it down to a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in that moment, your art maybe was dark or scary or sad, and that's what your mom was talking about. What's that process like to get that emotion from a journal entry into a piece of art? How do you do that process? Um, well, actually, this is where my illustration training comes into practice and where I'm so grateful that even though I'm now a fine artist that I started in illustration because you're taught that process. So I would write and then I would pick up key words or ideas in the writing and then I would try to assign a symbol to it. And then once you have a collection of those symbols, then you can start doing sketches and how how can you arrange these symbols in a new way? So like... We moved here to Utah in 2015, and my friend lost her five-year-old son to a pool as well. And I went to lunch with her, and it was the first time that I had, like, been with a friend that knew exactly what it was to lose a kid, especially in to water. And I, I looked at her, and I said, I'm not even going to ask how you're doing because I, I already know. And she was like, Jen, I just miss him. And those words, I just miss him. Like, I had to paint that. And so then I I started writing about it and I'm thinking, how can I put this to an image? And I thought of a a watch because I thought it's like a matter of time. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm separated from my son for for a moment, for some time. And I also thought about how, like, I mean— I believe in life after death. And so I'm like, I am here, like gravity is keeping me here. And Mm -hmm. my son has moved on to something greater. And so then I was like, gravity, like a chain, like a shackle. Like, and so that's kind of like, I created a painting with these ideas called Close But Separate, where my hand is in a watch, but it's a big watch. It's my husband's watch that's used like a shackle to show that symbol of I'm here and he's there and we're just like, I wish we could touch sometimes, but we're just like this far apart. Oh, so, so are you? I'm looking at your painting right now, and it's titled "His Strength Is Mine." Uh-huh. Can I read a little? I want to read your first. Okay, first let me segue. So the okay. first painting, two hands like this, with my hand has a chain, and it's called "Close but Separate." And then a couple years pass, and I realized that that chain that was holding me down had become like a source of strength. And so I used that same chain, and that and it now is a painting called His Strength is Mine, because I realized what was once a burden had become something to empower me. And so this is the painting that you're talking about. Okay, now, and I'm just now looking at this close but separate painting, and I encourage everyone who's listening to this to go to your site and look at this. It's beautiful. It's your hand, and then this little chubby hand, and these cute feet, and oh, that's it's beautiful. So then the next iteration of that really touched me, and I'll just read that. It's, it's It says, trials can be divided into two kinds, those that we have for a season and those which we will have for a remainder of our lives. Sometimes we fast and pray and we get the answer we want and God removes the burden and life goes back to normal. 
Other times we are given a burden that cannot be removed, but after much fasting and prayer, God can strengthen us through His Son to be able to carry that burden through our new normal. That's such a beautiful message. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that word new normal was like I, my the most horrible phrase I'd ever heard in my life. Or so, like I, when I was in the hospital with my son, we had so many meetings with nurses and doctors where they'd say, this is going to be your, your new normal and your son's going to be in therapy and all these things. He's probably going to need all this and this and this medication. And I just wanted to kick and scream and just yell and say, this is not normal. <laughs> this is, this is not, this is not normal. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and and yeah, and my, my new normal became learning to live without him. It was hard. So hard. So <laughs> you also have another painting called Let It Go. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, can I read a little bit sure. of that? It's a picture of a woman holding a black balloon. And you really only kind of see the string of the balloon as she's holding it close to her chest. And what you write in it is you say, you say, six months or so after the death of my son, I felt the weight of grief like never before. I cried daily. It seemed like I would have to grieve forever. There seemed to be a lie whispered to me that if I let it go, then I never loved. The lie said that grief was all I had left of my son, and to let it go was to let him go. This is really hard to read. So I carried it around with me much like this black balloon. After the loss of your oh, after the loss of your son, what got you to the point, I think, where you could let go of that grief? I think this, this message, first of all, is— it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense to believe that you have to carry on in grief and misery. Otherwise, you're not a good mom. You right. didn't love him. You don't still love him. You're not thinking of him. How could you dare be happy after you lose your child? What helped you transition out of that? Um, I think uh, holding on to my faith was really important. There's a Christian writer named C.S. Lewis that I totally love, and he wrote a book called The Great Divorce, which is a uh, allegorical story of spirits in hell and angels in heaven. And the spirits in hell have opportunity to go to heaven if they want to. They don't have mm. to stay in hell. And so the book is this story of different spirits coming from hell to heaven and the experiences that they have with their loved ones in heaven. And some people want to stay and some people hate it. And it's really interesting. But one of the little stories within the story is a man who comes up from hell and he has a lizard on him. And the lizard is his companion that whispers lies to him all the time. It's his security blanket, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes and he's talking to this angel in heaven. And as the angel's speaking, the lizard just keeps whispering things to this, this man. And then the angel says, I can take that from you if you want. And The lizard's like, no, you will have nothing if you don't have me. And the man's like, yeah, I won't have anything if you take the lizard. And then after um, a little bit of uh, conversation, finally the man just says, just do it. Just take it. And the angel grabs the lizard and the lizard burns and arrives in the hands of the angel. And then it was amazing because he grabs the lizard off his shoulder and then the lizard transforms into a stallion. And this man, the spirit from hell, is able to ride that stallion into heaven. And I just, I think that's such a, like, I read that, and it was such beautiful imagery for me of that, like, you can let this grief be something that weighs you down and is your lizard, and it keeps you in bondage, essentially, the rest of your life. Or you can choose to turn it into something more and let it be a strength that empowers you through the rest of your life. And I really saw that, like, ultimatum, I mean— I'd read stories of like pioneer women who were crossing the plains and they had, they'd have to bury their kids. And it's like, they had two choices. They could sit and cry and die on the side of the road, or they could pick themselves up and keep going. And I just kind of decided like, well, which one do you want, Genity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I knew that like my son would not want that for me. He wouldn't want to be a burden. He wouldn't want to be a lizard. He wouldn't want to be something that weighed me down, you know? Um, but the only, it's such a complex thing. Like, how do you, how do you really let that go? And mm-hmm. I even wondered, yeah. like, how do I really let this go? And it, it takes time. But something that really helped me was looking towards how can I use this to help other people? Like the girl who's holding the balloon, her hands are like really tight. Like I actually had the model holding a balloon string that had weights at the bottom of it. 
So like you couldn't obviously see it when in the painting, but that's how her fingers are so tight on that string because well, she's, she's actually holding She's holding weight. weighted, like a weighted string yeah. with a string. Yeah. <laughs> but when your hands are tied up, like what good are you? Like to other people, your hands are tied. But I realized that as I looked to serving other people, like not only it like helped me let go of the balloon, right? Because now my hands are being used for something better. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say I'd look to God every morning and then I wrote a lot and then I looked for ways that I could use it to help other people. Did you have a moment where you questioned your faith, where you questioned, am I going to see my son again? Is God really listening to me? Did you go through that or was that always your bedrock? So uh, when I was 11 years old, this is how the journaling started. My mom told me that I could have a personal relationship with God. And as an 11-year-old girl, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, how? And she said, oh, it's, it's really simple. You're going you're gonna to read his word every day. You're going to pray, and you're going to write in a journal. That's it. And I was like, well, that seems pretty simple. I can do that. And at first, my journal entries were like, I jumped on the trampoline, and I ate ramen today. <laughs> and then, yeah, I'd read a few verses of Scripture, close my, my, my scriptures and then go like say a quick prayer and then go to bed. And I did that every day. And she called it the PJs, like prayer journal scriptures. Oh, cute. And you do it when you put on your PJs. It's so cute. So cute. <laughs> so cute. And at first I was like, okay, I don't know how this is like building a relationship with God, but we're doing it. And then what happened is I got into junior high and started having like issues. Mm-hmm. Like my best friend didn't want to be my friend anymore which is a really big deal when you're in eighth grade. It's pretty yeah, common, though. Big deal. It is a big deal. And when you're a mom watching your kids go, yeah, yeah it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah, and so then all of a sudden, I'm not just writing about, like, ramen and playing outside. I'm writing about, like, this, like, my heart hurts because this person did this to me. And then when I read the Bible, it wasn't just, like, oh, some story of some dead guy. It was, like, oh, he, like, Christ's friends betrayed him. Mm. And— this is how he dealt with it. And then when I prayed, it wasn't just like, bless me that I can have a great day and that I can be safe in all my travels. <laughs> it was like, no, like my heart's broken and I need to, I need help. And so that practice really did what my mom promised me it could do. And so what you don't know is that when I moved my senior year, I had the choice to stay. And my mom said, Jenny, I know how much your senior year means to you. I was supposed to be a student body officer. I had auditioned for the choir and the orchestra and all the things. And to let that go seemed so huge. And so my mom said, hey, your grandma lives right next door to the high school. You can stay and finish your senior year. But I want you to make this decision. And so I did those three things. And God told me to move. And it was so hard because I wanted the other life. I wanted to be a student body officer. I had designed our school sweaters. like, <laughs> And to let that all go is so hard, but it was so beautiful is that in the letting go, he gave me this whole new life. And not only that, but it was going to be something that was going to help me carry through like really dark moments. And because I had done that practice my whole life, when I got to this place of Like I remember, like I said in that um, description that six months after was really hard. Mm -hmm. It's because in the first six months you felt like carried. I felt like I had like a a spiritual morphine like drip, Mm -hmm. like, and I was numb to everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, I'm going to have to take this uh, morphine drip out of you and you're you're going to have to like put your feet on the ground. And all of a sudden it was like the dust had settled and I was like totally shattered. And I I remember like sitting in my little studio and looking out the window and seeing moms like getting their kids out of the car and groceries and just being like, how is like life happening so normally for everybody? And yet I feel like my whole world is like in pieces. And when I felt that way, I would just write about it and then I would read and then I would pray and then repeat Like, this is my life, I tell you, is like, repeat. Like, do this small thing, repeat it. Do this small thing, do it every day, and then great things will come of it. By small and simple things, great things will happen. (laughs) And then later on, like, fitness kind of came into play with this healing process. Mm -hmm. And I had always been like a runner. And actually, the day after my son passed away, I went for a run. 
I just got up early. I put on my shoes and I just ran and I cried. And like these, like I'm running and like tears are like (laughs) flying in the wind. (laughs) And I was just like, just like that, like that grit, like, and I, and that was kind of like in that moment, I was like, I'm going to keep going. Like, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. This hurts so bad, but I'm just going to do it. And I realized that 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 act of running, that physical emotion, like, was helping me heal, like, emotionally. And so um, later on, we moved to Utah. I just happened to live down the street from a rec center. And I'm like, hey, maybe I should, like, live weight sometimes. So (laughs) I had no upper body strength. But I start doing like group fitness classes where you lift the eight pounds, yeah. like really <laughs> popping some iron, like oh, 30 yeah. reps. <laughs> but little, again, this is the story of my life. Little by little, like I started to get stronger. And then maybe like four years ago, it was, it was like a new year. And I thought, I want to learn how to do a pull-up. <laughs> That's yeah, how do you do that? I've That's never been able to do goal. that. So I got a pull-up bar. I put it in my bedroom, and then I would just start with shoulder shrugs. So you just hang from the bar, and you just shrug your shoulders. Okay. And that's if that's all you can do, fantastic. And you do that until you can start bending your arms a little bit. And then you do that until you can—as soon as you can do one full pull-up, then you're like, it's so empowering. You're like, well, I did one. Oh, so, if I could do one, I would feel like maybe, a superstar. Maybe I could do two. And so, it, again, this is like small things. So I'm doing laundry, and I've got a laundry basket. And every time I walked under my door, I just, let's do, let's see what we can do today. Like, put your hands on the pull-up bar, do a shoulder shrug, do a pull-up, and then pick up your laundry and keep going. So it was just like, it was so easy to do and practice because it was right there in my bedroom. It was just like, walk under the door, do a pull-up. Walk under the door, do a pull-up. <laughs> Okay, that's I'm going to try that. <laughs> yeah. And then that led to one day my brother said, hey, I got this membership to a rock climbing gym. Do you want to come with me? This was two years ago. And I said, yeah, sure. I went to Momentum uh, Climbing Gym once. And then I said, I have to do this every day. It just like, I loved climbing rocks. It was so fun. I was not good at it. I could do like, they have the scale of like V0 up to like right. professionals mm-hmm. like v 16, whatever. Anyways, I was doing V0s, but I completed a V0 and I felt very excited. Yeah, about, it's amazing when you can go real fast yeah, up that wall. Yeah. I did a V0. Awesome. Anyways, so I started climbing and then and then maybe three months into my climbing, <laughs> I was driving home from the gym and I had this thought, you should apply for American Ninja Warrior. What? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what that I said. That was the thought? Yeah, the thought was, you should apply for American Ninja Warrior. Well, that's a normal progression. That's, that's yeah. I mean, that's yeah. how most people practice. Like, they go from being <laughs> no, able to do shoulder struggles no, to listen, American Ninja Warrior. I tell Warrior. you, this was not my idea, right? Okay. Okay. This is, how I, this is how I decipher ideas that are mine and ideas that come from heaven. Ideas that are mine, I don't usually oppose. Okay. Ideas from heaven generally oppose a lot because they require me to do something hard out of my comfort zone. And so I opposed it. I said, no, that's ridiculous. My husband and I had been super fans of the show. We'd watched it a million times. And so many times after an episode, I would look at him and I would say, would you ever do that? And he'd be like, no. no. And I'd be like, yeah. I <laughs> Me either. Never. <laughs> people that do that <laughs> those, are crazy. Yeah, those people have lost their minds. <laughs> and then, but I would go climbing and the thought would come. Like every time. And so, I mean, I mean, I know this sounds really crazy and dumb, but I finally just, I, I said a prayer. I said, God, do you, like, I keep feeling this way. Is this, like, something you really want me to do? And I felt, yeah. And I was like, well, I can send in a submission video. So I'll do that. So I put together a submission video. At the time, there was no Ninja Gym within, like, an hour This of was me. just a couple years ago? Yes, like, yeah. Uh-huh. And so I would just go, there's an airborne trampoline park Mm -hmm. in Pleasant Grove that has like a few obstacles. Like a little kitty one, yeah. Well, it's actually, they're pretty legit because they're like, the obstacles are raised off the ground and some of them are actually really difficult. But that's like what I would, that was what I had to train on. And when I shot my video, (laughs) okay, this is a really good story. So one of the obstacles they have is called the Devil Steps. And if anybody has seen American Ninja Warrior, they know what I'm talking about. It looks like planks, like a... A slat of wood, and they go up in steps, yeah. and they make kind of like a like a V shape, 
Like, like an upside down, like a pyramid? Yeah, like a pyramid. Yeah. Thanks. Not like a Because <laughs> you're doing a pyramid, I'm doing, not I'm a doing a triangle and saying like a V-shape. <laughs> I'm an artist. It's fine. So at the top of the pyramid, there's like a gap, like a four-foot gap. And you have to like cross over and then take the steps down. Down. And you're inverted. Yes, I've seen yeah, that okay. one. Okay. So they had this at the ninja, at the at the trampoline place. And every time I'd been there with my kids, I would just kind of like, you know, I'm just playing. Like, what can I, I could do a pull-up. Yeah. <laughs> I could do a pull-up so we could do this. And I would get to the top of the pyramid and then I would look across my shoulder at the. Because you're doing this with your fi- your hands, yeah. like your fingertips yeah. basically. And, and there was like, it was like so far away. How am I supposed to get from from over here and then like magically four, wood with my fingertips. four feet leap to the other side? And so I would just come right back down the side that I climbed up and be like, I have small children. I shouldn't be doing this. When I go to put my video together, the guy that had agreed to help me with it, he comes to the trampoline park with me and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do the quintuple steps. We're going to do the rolling log. We're going to do the jumping spider. We're going to do the double steps. And we're going to do it in one take. Go. And I was thinking, <laughs> you're like, I've never done, I've never done this before. But <laughs> okay. Like, where are those? What are yeah. they? <laughs> what was and that I was just thing? sweating. Like, I was so terrified. But I was like, sounds great. So I go up to the start of the quintuple steps. And what do I hear? Let's do this, Mom. And all of a sudden, it was like my son was like right there next to me. And I felt him wanting me to do this. <laughs> and so I just said, okay. <laughs> and I just did it. I did the whole thing. I did the quintuple steps, the rolling log, the jumping spider. I got to that really scary spot at the top of the pyramid. And I was just like, well, we're just going to go for it. We're doing and it. I just went for it. And magically, it just the other plank, what, I landed it. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And then I finished it. And then I, I was like stunned. I just looked at my husband and I was like, I've never done that before. <laughs> that was amazing. Wow. Maybe I could do this show. I don't. Okay. Anyways, so that was my submission video. And then I submitted it thinking nothing was going to happen. They get right. like 15,000 submissions and they can only like 0.1% or something mm-hmm. gets selected for the show. So when I got called from the producer in April of the next year, so you you submit in December mm-hmm. and then you don't hear back for months. And I got offered a spot on the show and I was just like, what? what? <laughs> now, I will give you, to preface that, after I submitted my video in December, in January, I was like, maybe I should like, practice. You're like, what if they call me? Like, I, I don't think do they'll this. call me, but like if they do, I should probably have had like some practice time. So I signed up for lessons. They First, they have a place in Salt Lake called the Ninja Warehouse. Ninja Warehouse. And I signed up for classes there because that was the only gym that I knew of. And it was terrifying because I'm in like a class. I'm like a 34-year-old mom of four. And then I'm there with like a bunch of like 18-year-old boys. And I'm like, what's a lachey? So a lachey is when you're holding onto a bar and then you have to swing and then throw your body and grab another bar. Which is like a big part of American Which is a Ninja big part Warrior. of Ninja Warrior. Yeah. Like so many obstacles. It's like, okay, you got to throw your body. And I was just like, this is crazy. No, I can't do this. And my first time practicing, I like overshot it and my um, forearms went into the bar. <laughs> Like a metal bar, steel bar, and your forearms just bang, hit it. And it hurt so bad. And I came down and I was like, oh, I'm like, I gotta try again. Do it again. The exact same thing. I slammed, my, like, why can my hands not grab this bar? But I don't know. But I felt so dumb. And I, I looked at my coach and I was like, dude, I keep like, my forearms keep slamming into the bar and it hurts so bad. And he's like, you should stop doing that. Like, and I was like, that right. you're so helpful. But what did this, what, was there a point in this where you just went, okay, that was not a message from heaven. That was me having a crazy moment. Because I feel like I do that all the time where I have a great idea and I'm like so passionate about it. Then I get into the hard stuff. I'm like, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> did, was there a moment where, yeah. or moments? Yeah. yeah. So that night I got in my car and I was like, this is stupid. Not like I might not even be able to paint tomorrow because the tendons in my forearms are totally jacked, you know? Right. And and again, it's just I 
I pray. Is this something you that you really think that I should pursue? Yes. Okay, well then I'm going to need like some, some backup help. next time. <laughs> I'm going to need you to make yeah. my hands grab yeah. that bar. So I just said, okay, this is so hard and so uncomfortable. And I would drive to the ninja gym, like sweating before I even got there because I was so scared. But then I would just tell myself, Jenity, today you just have to learn one thing. Like you don't have to do the course tonight. You don't have to hit all those crazy obstacles that the 18-year-old boys are doing. Just learn one thing. Like today you did the quintuple steps. Good job. And I would celebrate those small victories. And then over time, just like everything else in my life, if you don't have the message yet, here it is again, just show up to practice. And this is the thing. There were some days I didn't want to go. Okay. Like every week I didn't want to go to practice. I have to drive in traffic across Salt Lake. It's like the end of the day. I'm a mom. I have to feed my kids dinner and I leave the house. And I don't want to do this. And I find like a lot of moms don't make time for themselves to do things like this because of all of those reasons. Yeah. But it was like something I had committed to. And so I just forced myself out the door. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in the car, it's like, well, that's, I mean, that's the hardest part. It's like, that is the hardest <laughs> part, right? For anything that we do, everyone can relate to that. Most people can't relate to Ninja Warrior, but I think most people can relate to that idea of like, if you just take get, that first yeah. step, if you just get in the car, car. get out there and apply. Just, I, I feel like for me, that's my biggest catalyst in my life is if I just say it out my mouth and commit to it, <laughs> then I'm like, well, I said it. Now I got to do it. it. <laughs> yeah. How did the actual competition go? You competed last year? Mm-hmm. I competed last year in Tacoma, Washington, and there's nothing that can prepare you to walk into the arena and see the actual American Ninja Warrior course. Mm-hmm. And you are like, feel like, okay, remember how I felt as <laughs> the student at BYU-Idaho with no art talent? That's how you felt. Exactly same. <laughs> I felt the same way walking into that arena like, I have no business being here. Do you know what the obstacles are going to be? No. No. In fact, there was a girl that I competed with that was in, like had competed as a, gym, a gymnast in the Olympics. Uh-huh. And I said, what is scarier, competing in the Olympics as a gymnast or competing on American Ninja Warrior? And she's like, well, in the Olympics, yeah, the whole world's watching you, which is terrifying, but you know exactly what's expected of you. Mm-hmm. You've practiced it a million times and you just got to show up and do it. And she's like, this is terrifying because I have no idea what's expected of me and I don't know if I can do it. And you're looking at these obstacles and you're just figuring out <laughs> as you go. Yeah. So great, what a great analogy they actually for life. Don't right? even really let you like, like when you're a contestant, they keep you away from the course. So you can't watch the other contestants and see what they're doing. They do show it on like a little screen. Like they have like the tiniest little like screen that you can watch the other contestants runs. But right before you go, they take you up there like in a group and they they go over the the rules of the course. Like you can't touch this. You can't touch this. And that's really the first time you really get to see the course up close. Mm. And then you go. Like now I got to do it. They have these testers that are like really good that run the course for you. They're not competitors. And. One of the one of the testers for us like landed the obstacle wrong and her shin went into the like edge of the pad and she was like laying like on the floor, like holding her leg and they had to have like the medics come help her and the producer's like, moving on. And then we're all just like, ah. oh my God, <laughs> so scary. And then the fifth obstacle, the guy that ran it fell into the water and we're all just like, wow, we have so much confidence in our ability to do this now. Yeah. And yeah, you, it's just, it was like one of the scariest things I've ever chosen, like forced myself to do. Yeah. And they call your name and you go up on that platform and then you're just like, go. <laughs> okay. Oh. And yeah, that's it. It's like, I felt my son again, like, mom, let's do this. And then you just go. And at, after each obstacle cleared, you're like, <gasps> I can't believe it. I got the rope. Yay. First obstacle done. And then second obstacle. Oh, I grabbed the thing. Yes. Woohoo. Third obstacle. I have no idea how I landed that, but I did, and I'm here. <laughs> so how did you do? Did you finish the course? How no, I went out on the fourth obstacle, which actually as a rookie, yeah, I was, like, stoked about. I actually went out on the same obstacle that, like, the guy that had won the show a couple of years back went out on. And I was like, <laughs> so like See? okay, validated, validated. So are you planning on, is Ninja Warrior going to be a big part of your life going forward? Was that a one and done thing you did, do you feel like it has a part in your life still? Well, this is the sad and funny part of the story is that they invite like 90 ninjas to compete at each city and only like 30 will show up on television. Oh. Because they have to cover their bases in case like half the people go out on the first obstacle. 
You know? That makes sense. So I was so excited. And the whole reason I wanted to do this was to share my story. Mm-hmm. I don't care about hitting a buzzer. I don't care about Mount Midoriyama. I don't care about being the next American Ninja Warrior. I cared about, wow, this is an amazing platform to share a story about loss and empower other people that have been through it. And so that's all I really cared about. And so I got to sit in this room with producers and a green screen and share my story and cry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then none of it happened. They didn't air any of it because I had too many like celebrity ninjas that competed in my city. They didn't have time for me on the show. So I felt like, well, why? And then sometimes we feel like we should do something and we expect that it will happen in the next couple of months. Or like in my, in yeah, my you head, think you know I was what like, the outcome's gonna I'm going to do really awesome. And then they're going to share my story. And then I'll have that really awesome to share, like that really awesome platform to share my story. And then that's the, that's the end of the book. That's the why. That's yeah. why God asked me and to do it. And sometimes things don't happen that way. Right. And so I was left with like, well, psh, why did, psh, that was so hard. Why did you tell me to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and wait, and I feel like, Jenny, you don't know all the reasons yet. And you don't know the why, but you just do what you're told and you just keep going forward and trust me. And so I figured, well, I've already like worked on developing this skill set, like might as well keep working on it. And the good news is they actually opened a new gym that's like, you know, 15 minutes from my house now called the Ninja Playground in Lehigh. And so I just keep going there once a week. I go every Wednesday night and practice. And guess what? I'm like way better now, <laughs> way better than I was when I competed on the show. And I was supposed to compete compete again this year in March. They welcomed me back, which I was honored to come back. And then COVID-19 happened. And again, it's like, what the crap? Why? <laughs> like I, I was there, I was like going to compete the next day. And like California put down the like order that you couldn't have so many people together. Like that night, oh what? <laughs> so all these ninjas had to just go home. And yeah, I'm just, I don't know the end of the story. All I know is like, I've learned so much. Yeah, I've learned that like physically, I'm capable of way more than I ever thought. And then made some amazing friends. That whole community is like amazing. So I don't know what the end of the story. I just, I just keep showing up. That's what I do best. I just show up. <laughs> and then we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll definitely apply again for the next season. And I don't know. <laughs> but it's really fun to take my kids there. So that's a, that's a good thing, you know? Yeah, like, if nothing else, you're I've, teaching your like, kids. I now have, I have three kids at home, a 10-year-old boy, eight-year-old boy, and a six-year-old girl. And they think it's cool. So if, I bet if, they do. if nothing else, it makes my, like, I got like the fun mom card. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. I love, have you ever heard Steve Jobs? He gave the valedictorian speech at Stanford. It's kind of a well-known speech, but he oh, talks about it. It talks about connecting the dots. It's a non-spiritual way of communicating what you're talking about. And the concept is just that every event in your life can be connected. Every event in your life is part of a path, Yeah, is part of an, an intended journey. But the kicker, what he gets, says in his speech is that you cannot see how the dots connect until you're further along in the journey till you're at the end of the journey. And then you can always look back and see how those dots connect. But when you're in the moment, you can't really see. But I love that you're adding that, just show up. Like, I'm really good at just showing, showing up. up. <laughs> and the spiritual side of it is having faith that there are some dots, that I'm I'm on a dot, right? And then I'm on this path. That's that's a beautiful message that you're Well, and that. I see that all the time in my art yeah. because— I've created so many, like most of my paintings start out ugly. Okay. Like some people think that when you paint, you're maybe like a printer. You just start in one corner and then you just lay the paint in perfectly until you finish. No. No. They start out like like figures with like eyes that are like two inches too high and the mouth is all wrong. And But I've learned over time to have, have confidence that I will fix it over time and to be patient even when the painting is ugly. And I have that sight now as an artist that when the painting is ugly, I can look at it and be like, it's it's in its awkward phase, but I'm just going to give it all the time that it needs to develop and it will become something beautiful. And I think God looks at us like that. We're all works in progress. We're all at various stages. None of us are complete or perfect yet, but we if we can have faith that like we just keep going and allowing Him to work in our lives, we can slowly evolve into the person that we need to be. 
And it's kind of funny how I've talked so much about small and simple things because the way that I actually apply paint to the surface is in very small strokes. Like I use like a like a size one, size two brush, uh, which is like really tiny. I used to get made fun of in in college. Like, Jen, you got your two hairbrush? And um, I apply these little marks, just little marks. And I build them up and I build them up and I build them up. And it takes, I, I am not an efficient painter. Like I know some really awesome paint, like my colleagues in the field that can like, push out a painting in a couple hours. I'm like the hundred hour painter girl. And, but it's, it's fine. Cause I know that all those little pieces over time will add up to something great. And so I think that's kind of like what you were talking about. So you have a painting that in my, my, this is my favorite of yours. I think it's the most beautiful. I'll say that it's called coming full circle. Oh, uh-huh. It's gorgeous. The The model's gorgeous. I love the gold circle behind her. So I'm going to read what that says because it kind of sums up what we've been talking about. It says, that moment when the pathway clears, the questions answered, the problem solved, and the circumstances understood. Everything comes full circle and your heart swells with gratitude. In that moment of joy and thanks, our hearts connect with heaven as we recognize God's hand in our life. Look for circles in life and you will find them. That's right. And that painting was really ugly for a really long time. I actually have the progress video oh, wow. online. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> Which makes the message even more poignant. Yeah. Right? It was like it was like the ugly child in my studio and I would just I didn't like to look at it. I would just kind of like put it along the wall and be like, Oh, you're so ugly right now, but I'm just going to let you sit over there. And it's hard to work on ugly art. It's like, it's really fun. Like the last 10% of a painting when it already looks like it's really yeah. going somewhere. And then you're like, okay, I just got to like dot my eyes and cross my T's. But when they're like in the awkward phase, it's, it takes a lot of grit to like, just pull it off the wall and be like, we're going to work on you. Even though it's like so painful to look at you, we're going to do it. And uh, that painting is one of my favorites too. That's amazing to know that at some point this was not what it is right now. And again, a good analogy because I look at this painting, it's beautiful. I mean, just the the light on her face, she's kind of in a kind of in prayer, but kind of just it's gratitude. Is that what yeah. So that painting came about because I was I was I was painting my studio one day and I had this feeling like, you need to be better at this. And I was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, how did I get here? Well, I went to school. So then I started researching master's programs. And I applied and even got a scholarship to a school in California. And we were moving, and I was going to go get a master's degree. And then that painting, Let Go, got into a national show in Ohio that I flew out to. And the judge of the show said, I don't think you should go get a master's degree. And I was mm -hmm. like, why? Because I kind of already put my down payment on tuition. <laughs> and he said, because if you go, you'll just get a degree. But if you come study with me, you'll get an art education. Mm. And I was like, didn't know that was an option. So his name was William Whitaker, and he uh, happened to live in Provo. And so I went and started. That's actually how I met that's Jamie. That's how you know Jamie. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. And so I started painting with him, and I was just so grateful mm -hmm. that this path that I hadn't even seen of being able to apprentice with somebody had happened. And so I told Bill, I said, this painting is for you. This is my gratitude that like, I had no idea how I was going to make a master's program work, how I would afford it, who was going to watch my kids, what about my husband's job? And all those questions were answered when you offered to let me come study with you. And so I worked on that painting uh, in his studio and worked from a live model. And um, it was just the most incredible experience. And then as I was finishing, like I finished that painting and he passed away unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And I just like, oh my gosh, I just remember when I got the news, like I fell apart on my driveway because my kids were outside riding their bikes and just sobbed. And I was like, this was my capstone project and I didn't even know it, you know, like this was my last painting. And I, but I was so grateful that I was able to tell them thank you, you know, before he went. And anyways, this painting in many ways has become a catalyst for a lot of opportunities that I've had over the past couple of years. So it's very dear to me. <laughs> Well, you've got an incredible story in your life, and I think more importantly, you've got uh, amazing lessons that you've developed but that you seem to apply in your life, and I'm so grateful that you're coming and sharing it with us. Oh, I really thank you. appreciate your time today. Are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share? 
I guess just show up for yourself. Like think about what it is that you really want. Think about what you're going to have to do to make it happen and then set aside time, even if it's 15 minutes every day towards that thing that you want. And then just be patient and watch what can happen. Thank you, Jenity. And tell us, where would you like people to go to find you? Instagram, your website, tell us where those all are. So my website is jenitypage.com. And it's J-E-N-E-D-Y P-A-I-G-E. And then my Instagram handle is just jenitypage just like my name. And I really encourage people to follow me on Instagram because I do a lot of sharing of like in progress. You can see my paintings when they're bad and you can laugh with me and I give like a lot of tips and anyways. So that's probably like you get the most current content on my Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for another episode of She's Simply Amazing. If you are loving this podcast and getting so much out of it, please help us grow it. You can subscribe to the podcast and share each episode that you love. You can join our community on Instagram by following at Simply Amazing Podcast. And please, please, if you're loving this, go leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. Those reviews really help us grow. We'll see you next week. 